I'm Dr. Heather Monthy from the About the Tea and STEM podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, episode 46. If you're a loyal listener, thanks so much for joining us here again. And if you're listening for the first time, thanks for tuning in. In this week's episode, we're going to tackle a difficult to discuss yet necessary topic in the field of education today, and that is equity. Equity presents itself in education in so many ways. Later in the episode, you'll hear me refer to the fact that equity could mean everything from racial equity to socioeconomic equity to even digital equity. And in all three of those cases, and any case regarding equity, we're talking about how some students have access to resources or certain advantages over other students for a variety of reasons. As I said, this is a difficult topic to discuss sometimes, but we've touched upon it here in the podcast before, and I wanted to readdress it and devote an entire episode to it. So I'm really thankful for this week's guest, Dr. Sheldon Akins, who has his own podcast called The Leading Equity Podcast. Please go check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. It's an amazing show where Dr. Akins and his guests talk all about equity. But I was really excited to discuss this topic with him. So I hope you take a listen. Without further ado, here is the interview with Dr. Akins. My next guest is a fellow podcaster, well-respected in the space, has his own great show that he will tell us all about in a second. But Dr. Sheldon Akins is here to join us to talk about equity. And if you could, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, my name is Dr. Sheldon L. Akins. I'm a special education director by day and a podcaster at night. I am the host of the Leading Equity podcast. Uh, so as far as my daytime job, I I work for a, a, a small reservation in the uh, uh, Native American reservation in Idaho and uh, as their special education director. So I, ha I work with some amazing kids and staff, teachers. And so I love what I do. But in addition to that, I also do some consulting with the Leading Equity uh, LLC. And so uh, I'm all about talking about equity and ensuring that our schools are equitable when it comes to classroom instruction and when it comes to systemic and even policies and, and things like that. Uh, I, I'm a big time advocate for equity uh, within our school system. Well, thank you for that. And I have to say that, you know, I've had a few fellow podcasters on before and, and I always enjoy having these conversations with other podcasters, but I will tell you that I think this is probably one of the best sounding episodes uh, and interviews that I've had before. Uh, you must have a pretty good setup there with a nice microphone, and, and I like to think that I sound pretty good too. So 
uh, that helps. It helps quite a bit, <laughs> as you probably know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, both of us are podcasters. So, you know, I, I have my setup here and, and I'm ready to go. Let's do this. All right. Well, uh, you told us a little bit about your show. Uh, and, you know, obviously equity is a big topic. I, I guess if you could start off sort of generally speaking about what it is that you deal with on your show. And, and I guess, again, more generally, just the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think, is really where I want to start in terms of this uh, educational equity piece. Okay. So the show, it, it focuses on supporting educators with the tools and resources necessary to ensure equity at their school. So usually I have uh, a lot of my my guests are, are researchers. So uh, I, I talk to a lot of higher education professors uh, and I'm a I'm an avid reader and I'm always trying to learn. I mean, we're, we're as educators, you know, we're lifetime learners. And so I, I do a lot of scouring of uh, articles that center around equity. And sometimes I'll find something that's just so eye popping for me or maybe on, on, on a topic that I'm not as familiar with. And so I'll, I'll reach out to them and I'll say, hey, I just read your, your manuscript. I just read your article in this journal and I'd love to have you on my show. And so I would say about 90% of my guests come from uh, the academia and higher higher education. And so, I mean, we, we talk about a lot of topics like um, culturally responsive pedagogy. We talk about school dress codes. We talk about uh, school lunch programs. I mean, absenteeism and discipline and just a lot of areas that that aren't always addressed. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm biased towards special education as a special education director. So I do have several uh, guests that come on and, and speak to inclusion and, and, and how we can better serve our, our students based, based off of their abilities and disabilities. Uh, so, you know, I, I cover a wide, I mean, equity is such a broad topic, you know? And so I, I cover such a, a wide range of topics that center around, you know, how do we provide fairness and ensure that each student is getting their individual needs and not providing this one size fits all cookie cutter approach to education. Okay. So, uh, as you said, and, and I'm glad you said it, you know, there are so many facets to the equity piece. I mean, it's everything from digital equity and, and, you know, fairness as it relates to, uh, connectivity and devices, and all the way up until obviously like racial equity. So there's a lot that we we could talk about. Let's I guess let's focus mostly on the the racial piece. You know, I was just telling you before we started recording that uh, I've touched upon the subject here on the show before when I had uh, my good friend Basil Marin on, and he, and we talked about it a little bit. Um, but I'm gonna be honest. You know, it's it's a topic that. I don't jump at the chance to cover, uh, but it is super important. I recognize the need to, to talk about it. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's being talked about more. We're certainly seeing more and more stories about it. And I might be dating us here a little bit because I'm not, uh, I, I, this is probably several weeks before the episode is going to air. But uh, I just saw, again, some coverage about this story with a black student who uh, got a new hair hairstyle and had like um, a design, you know, shaved into his head, like a lightning mm -hmm. bolt or a letter or something. And one of the administrators, I, th I don't know if it was the principal, I think it was the assistant principal, uh, colored in the the space with permanent marker. I mean, that like that screams what's the opposite of equity, like not 
not fair unfairness you know right i mean it's weird like it's being talked about more but it's being talked about more in a negative way too you're absolutely right dan and i that i remember reading that article um and 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 i want to say it was in texas that this happened and and they wrote on their on the child's head uh, with the marker and and it's 2019 dan it's 2019, and we're still having these conversations when it comes to equitable practices. And and I would agree that uh, when it comes to race and, and equity, it's it's starting to be talked about a lot more. I think our education system has has been changing in certain ways, and um and even from a political standpoint, things are starting to change. And so a lot of conversations about race are starting to come up. Um, I think at the end of the day, we just need to make sure that everyone's voices are being heard and that we're we're allowing students a space that's safe for them. Typically, when we we talk about education, we see often um I think it's like 90% or upper 80% where it's it's education is is predominantly white women teachers are the the brunt of the teacher workforce. And then I think it's only like 2% of black males are educators. I mean, but when we look at the actual classroom setups and we look at uh, all the, the classrooms where there's predominantly uh, students of color or students of uh, black students or brown students, and they don't often see themselves reflected within their teachers and role models and things like that. And then also in the content itself. And so that is why, you know, a lot of the topics that I do discuss on my show center around race and center around how we can make sure that we're being culturally responsive or, or, or and, and culturally providing culturally relevant and sustaining pedagogy to our students and, and use, utilizing their voices so that it's not just us thinking about what we should be uh, showcasing or or providing to our students or, you know, just teaching out of the textbooks only, but we're actually providing in um, celebrating assets that students are bringing to the table. Yeah. I mean, you said it, man, it's 2019 and we're still dealing with not just a little bit, but a, a very large uh, equity gap, I guess you would call it still. And, um, you know, I've actually, so 13 years into my career now, I will tell you, I've worked in four different schools and uh, every one of them has been super diverse and, and demographically speaking, uh, majority of students at each of the schools are students of color. And, uh, you know, I'll admit, at least in my area, that you're right. Uh, our students do not have very many teachers who look like them and come from backgrounds like theirs. And the few that I've worked with who do and who are similar, um, sometimes, quite often, there is a, a different feel. Um, I don't want to say it's a respect factor, but it's a different kind of connection that I think students have with staff members and teachers, especially who are very similar to to them. They're they're. Their looks it's and their backgrounds, right? It's 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 like you know, males typically tend to connect better with other males, and females the same way. And and then when we start talking about race, I mean, if, if I have a black student, I'm a black person. If I have black students, guess what? I can talk about a lot of things that they're into because I'm into it too. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, shared experiences that we have, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I came from a hood and you came from the hood or the ghetto or or it doesn't matter. I mean, we're black. And we both have a lot of similar experiences and we're treated, it, 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 
to other people's eyes, they don't know where we come from. All they see is our race. And so we get treated pretty much the same way. And so I, I think being able to connect with others that look like you is, is very important. Um, it's just how do we get more Black teachers involved into our school systems. And I think that's one of the things that we we need to uh, discuss is because we, we talk about, you know, the, the achievement gaps and, you know, we, we bring out these stats about how, you know, the, the, the black students are behind the white students or the brown students are behind the white students. I mean, there's some amazing students that are of all colors. But a lot of times we, we focus on these statistics and, and not focus on the assets that the students are bringing. I mean, if a student is behind when it comes to, let's say they're, they're a fourth grader, but they're reading on a first grade level, well, we can still celebrate that student that's reading at a first grade level and see how we can bring them up to that fourth grade level as opposed to, oh, see, I don't know why, you know, these issues, you know, these kids, you know, their homes and, and this situation, that situation, we make these excuses as to why students are coming in behind as opposed to, okay, this is where the student is at and how do we get them up to where they need to be? You know, that's a great point. And actually it leads me to a question about student discipline. You know, I I actually just got finished up not too long ago doing a mini series on social emotional learning. And part three of that series with Elizabeth Merce, we were talking about um, sort of redefining and reshaping the way we look at student discipline. And I'm not saying that that disparity between uh, white students and students of color in terms of academics is not important. It certainly is. and, And we need to address it and continue to address it, as well as trying to uh, recruit more teachers of color. But I think an even more pressing issue is the issue of the disparity between white students and students of color as it relates to student discipline. Is there any explanation or I know uh, solutions are not certainly going to be easy or or happen overnight, but any explanation or solution that that you think you know, may help here? That's a good question, and and obviously there is definitely. I mean, if we look at this, I don't know how familiar you are with the school to prison pipeline and um, books like mm-hmm. uh, Push Out, where it talks about the 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 black females and and how they have the the numbers have disproportionately led to the amount of discipline and and you know how a black girl might be perceived as sassy or 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 disrespect or have attitude and things like that but which is part of their cultural background and it's perceived one way uh, i think a lot of it is perception dan um if if I'm a person who has not had a lot of experience dealing with students that are coming from a, a community that's different than my community and what I grew up with and my values, and I'm looking at things from the lens of what I'm used to, as opposed to considering how my struggles, my everyday living is not going to be, is not the same as students that don't look like me. And so I'm taking someone saying, what's up, as a, a sign of disrespect when you know, that's actually a form of of language that is utilized within that person's culture. And so I think part of it is just misinterpretations of what disrespect or defiance is, uh, insubordination, these kind of uh, definitions that, uh, for example, maybe a white 
teacher might have against a black or a brown student. And so it, it gets misinterpreted and, and it's, it's perceived as, oh, this person's being disrespectful or to me. And so therefore I need to put them out of my class so that it's not as disruptive. So I think that's the first part is just being able to perceive things correctly and understand what is actually a sign of disrespect versus more of a, a, a cultural uh, a cultural piece that, you know, this is kind of what the students are used to, how they talk to each other. Now, at the same time, I do think that there should be students need to learn respect. I mean, a lot of us grow up, grew up, um, you know, respecting our elders. And I think that that still needs to be in place. But I think the perception when uh, a teacher perceives a certain behavior as disrespectful, whether or not if it really is, and often that tends to lean heavily on students of color. The Leader of Learning podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. I got to be honest, I never really thought about it that way, but it makes so much sense that there be this um, misunderstanding, I guess is the best word that I could use to describe the the differences, let's say culturally speaking, between, uh, again, teachers who, who don't look and sound like the students or, or uh, were not raised like the students were. And uh, I, I do think I, I really agree with you that I think that that causes so much um, not confusion. That's not the right word I'm looking for. Just, I guess ignorance. And I know that might sound like a strong word, but I mean, just like where you don't know any better, which actually, you know, when we had uh, connected to do this interview and, and put out this episode, you mentioned a term that I have to be honest and in full disclosure, full transparency, I wasn't super familiar with, but I think it, it kind of relates to this misunderstanding piece. And the term is microaggressions. Can you explain what the term means and also kind of how that comes to play in in this equity piece? I think, I guess the short answer is we all, and we all do it. I do it too, Dan. So I'm not immune to this, but there's times when we unintentionally, and sometimes there's times when we intentionally say or do things to a person based off of maybe a stereotype um, or we assume a certain thing and, and it, and it can trigger that person. So I'll give you an example. If, if I just, if I see someone that's Latino and I say, Hey, I got some tortillas and some, some, some beans and rice. Do you want some? And I asked them that because I looked at them and I saw that they were Latino that, and, and they're like, well, I don't even like beans. And I'm like, well, why don't you like beans? Aren't you, aren't you Mexican? Like, don't you like beans? Or if I say, so, call someone Mexican and they're really from Guatemala, that could trigger them. So it's unintentional. Like I'm not, I'm not purposefully trying to say something disrespectful, but it's still, uh, uh, and that's the microaggression. That's where you, you say or do things unintentionally and it, and it triggers someone in a certain way. Um, I, I live in Idaho, Dan, and you know how many times I get asked if I play basketball or if I play football, Really, like almost every day, 
<laughs> all the time, right? And I know that the person that's asking me these questions is, at least I hope that the person that's asking me these questions isn't, un, you know, intentionally trying to stereotype me because they see a black man who's, who, you know, I try to keep myself in shape, but they see a black man <laughs> and they just assume that I'm athletic and that I play sports or or something like that. And, you know, if it's an Asian person and I assume that they're really good at math, and, you know, like those are the microaggressions. And if, when we act upon it, then that affects the way uh, like just imagine being a student in class and and, you know, like a female in class and the teacher says, you know, your skirt is too tall or too too short or um, or it's too low or like the the way that 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 child might respond to it might be offensive to them. And then so there it could it could lead to further issues with the relationship between a teacher and the student. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I'm always about bringing on guests here and talking about issues, but then trying to, you know, get, enlighten my listeners and, and just uh, in general, the education community about some possible solutions. I mean, I feel like as we're talking, I'm thinking about microaggressions and like that ignorance piece that we talked about being a fairly easy, I'm not saying it's super easy for everyone, depending on, I think your background, depending on maybe uh, your your years of experience in education, um, there might be some factors that work against you. But I, I feel like that would be a fairly simple solution to really um, educate and enlighten yourself as an educator so that you mm-hmm. can try to um, be more accepting, try to understand your own microaggressions if they are present and and uh, if you have maybe certain ones that you could correct that in my opinion that is a fairly easy solution to the issue um but there are so many bigger uh problems that need to be solved and so i guess my my final question is when it comes to culturally responsive pedagogy and culturally responsive classrooms where do we begin there it starts with us dan it it starts with us. Where do we value? What do we place our values in education? Because we could all, I mean, we, you and I could sit here and talk and we could be in a group or forum or whatever and sit there and talk about, you know, all the challenges that are in education and, and how important it is to be inclusive and how important it is for us to, um, you know, make sure that our students of color or our LGBTQ or females and all of them are feeling safe and inclusive. But if there's no action, if there's no action involved with this and then we're just sitting there talking and if you're on an administrative level and we're saying, you know, we want all our kids and our families to feel inclusive, but there's no money or resources allocated to these causes, then it's just lip service. And I think that's the first thing is it starts with us. If we're in a classroom as educators, we have the power to look deep into our curriculum and our content and really dig out where we can provide uh, a culturally responsive approach to our teaching. And I'm not talking about a sprinkled in, you know, Black History Month or Martin Luther King Day. I'm talking about how we embed the cultural piece. You can't tell me that in the, the in science that only scientists out there are, are white men. I mean, there are plenty of people of color. There's people from all types of uh, backgrounds and ethnicities that have been involved in science, yet we we typically talk about the same people when it comes to those subjects. So how do we dig deeper and provide a context where our students in our classroom can see 
themselves and say, oh, you know what? I could be a scientist. Oh, I could I could do some work in this area or in this field. And those things matter. But again, it starts with us. We could talk about it, but if we're not putting any action, any resources into it, then it's just lip service. Look, man, I feel like we're, we're really just barely scratching the surface on this one. It is such a deep, complex, uh, just difficult topic uh, to discuss and certainly difficult to try and solve. But, you know, based on what you just said, I really think that uh, if every single educator, regardless of your racial uh, background, your gender, your religion, everything can just be a little bit more conscious and aware of how you are approaching, you know, being culturally responsive in your classroom, but maybe even more importantly, being more aware of how your school and your district is doing that. Like Dr. Akins just said, not just those, you know, token Black History Month, Women's History Month. Uh, I think my school actually does Latino history, but just everything, embedding it into everything that's done, including all the way down to, you know, textbooks and and reading materials, Uh, just being more aware of that, right? So um, again, I know we're just scratching the surface, but uh, we are sort of running short on time. I want to thank you so much for being here and for uh, at least getting us going here on this topic. And of course, uh, for our listeners, if anyone wants to reach out to Dr. Akins or myself or even come on here as a guest, who knows? We could probably have a, a lot more to talk about still. Feel free. Feel free to reach out to us. And uh, before you go, please just let everyone know how they can do that, how they can reach out to you. Plug that great uh, Leading Equity podcast again, please, and take us out. Thank you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sheldon Akins. You can also, again, you can listen to my podcast. I come out twice a week, every Monday and Thursdays, the Leading Equity Podcast. And also you can find more content on my website, www.sheldonakins.com. Excellent. Well, Dr. Akins, once again, thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for coming on and discussing this somewhat difficult topic. I think it was a great conversation. I, again, uh, so much to talk about, but I, I think we, we scratched the surface. We covered what we needed to do, and I just really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Boxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.